G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 90 of the Outback Mind podcast. Thanks so much for joining in guys and girls. Uh, Now, did you know that uh, in Australia, someone has a heart attack every 10 minutes and 21 people die of a heart attack or a heart attack or a heart problem every day. Um, It's something that um, is not talked about. Uh, We don't sort of... uh, uh, acknowledge or hear of often unless it's someone in our own network or community but uh, it's, it's still very very common um, we're not really looking after our heart health uh, very well now today I've got a uh, really special guest um, cardiologist uh, by the name of Dr Warwick Bishop on um, really really profound and well respected guy that's uh, featured um, around the world basically with regards to his knowledge and, and understanding of cardiology and heart health but uh, also has written some amazing books on the topic of, uh, of the heart and what we can do to, uh, to, to look after our hearts better um, uh, as far as uh, the physical functioning of our heart is concerned. I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in heart coherence as you know about uh, tuning into your heart so you can become more conscious and aware of your emotional uh, well-being but um, certainly if our heart's not working healthy then um, we we were not functioning well so Warwick and I are going to talk about <clears throat> what it is to uh, to manage a healthy heart today uh, in more detail and be able to give you some tips and tricks and advice on how to look after the the number one uh, part of our <coughs> pardon me of our being which is our heart so if our heart's not working well our brain's not working well uh, and our whole body uh, isn't working well uh, primarily. So being able to manage that properly, I think, is, is important. It's um, <clears throat> something that we take for granted and we don't actually explore or know enough about. So I hope you really enjoy our conversation. Just on heart, on heart health, nutrition is a big thing when it comes to managing our heart. Now, we have a couple of great... Uh, uh, partners that uh, support the podcast, Green Nutritionals, who provide green organic superfoods. Uh, so if you're looking to supplement something uh, in your diet that may be, uh, may be lacking, I really uh, encourage you to check out their website, greennutritionals.com.au. We also get support from Pure Life Organic Sprouted Bakery. They provide uh, breads with which uh, their grains are sprouted. So when the grains are sprouted in our breads, uh, the digestion process works better. And obviously, if our digest- digestion's working well, then our heart's going to be a little bit uh, uh, less, um, or wouldn't be going through such a, a workout because blood's not pumping as, as uh, much to the gut, which uh, means that um, uh, our heart's going to function better. So when we're digesting food that's hard, um, you know, it takes a lot of energy to actually process that, but... Sorry, uh, Pure Life, uh, their breads are amazing and they digest so much better than traditional bread uh, breads. So I really encourage you to check out their website. Their breads are available all around Australia. PureLifeBakery.com.au um, and just, uh, yeah, look at uh, what they can do to uh, maybe bring some food into your life which um, may improve your physical and mental well-being. So I uh, really encourage you to check them out. Alrighty, listen to Warwick and I going at it here. I really encourage you to share this podcast with others uh, and also explore uh, Warwick's website um, 
to get some more information on heart health as well after the conversation. So I really appreciate feedback. I appreciate your feedback. Dr. Warwick Bishop, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Aaron, thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Uh, I know you're in Hobart and um, I know it's, it's, it's pretty fresh down there, so hopefully you're, uh, you're keeping yourself nice and warm. <laughs> Look, the sun is out, but it is deceptive. Uh, there's <laughs> yeah. a cold breeze blowing and uh, I've got jumpers and trousers and my Ugg boots on. It's probably about... Eight to ten degrees outside, <laughs> but uh, but the sun uh, is uh, is tricking us. Um, but that's that's Hobart for you. That's true. Now tell me, you're at Clifton Beach, so how far from the water are you? I can see it from where I am at the moment. I've got a beautiful spot uh, halfway along the beach, and I can see the water. So. Um, uh, no one out surfing because the waves are reasonably small and it's cold and there's a bit too much wind. But uh, on a good day, if the conditions are right, I can actually watch the surfers from home. Yeah, great spot, mate. Uh, uh, yeah, it is an awesome spot down there. So if anyone is interested in visiting Tasmania, make sure you go to Clifton Beach, which is a, which is a bit of a hidden gem. But I know that you don't want too many people down there, mate, because it's getting a bit, <laughs> a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit I, I think of it as uh, 30, 30 kilometres from town, a million miles from anywhere, and I do appreciate the privacy down here. That's true. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, no, really well, mate. So, so tell us a bit about your journey. You know, uh, obviously you went through your schooling in Hobart and so forth. What was, I suppose, you know, were you always a young person that liked to keep fairly physically uh, healthy? And, and what sort of drove you to... Um, become interested in heart health and become a cardiologist? Look, um, given you told me your podcasts go for a, a reasonable period of time, <laughs> I'll indulge you in a bit of a shaggy dog story. Good. And Good. the long and the short of it is, to answer your first part of the question, I've, I've always been pretty physically active. I grew up with a family who are physically active and my dad was active. So, you know, set a great example. I was um, okay at school good at particularly maths and physics and chemistry and tech drawing. And uh, my dad, because uh, we're from fairly humble uh, origins, sort of said, look, um, you might be good as an engineer. Um, you should maybe think about that. So as a young fellow, sort of high school, I sort of thought I'll be an engineer because of my skill set and what I was good at doing. And I made an application for work experience and lo and behold, got the chance to do two weeks' work as a civil engineer at a local company. Which company now, was that? Uh, look, I can't even remember, Aaron, <laughs> but I can tell you, I can tell you this: I had, I was young enough and ignorant enough that I had no idea about different sorts of engineering. Mm -hmm. So it was a uh, civil engineer I went to, and um, honestly without realising that these guys seem to be doing a lot of retaining walls and sewer systems and sitting inside drinking coffee mm -hmm. in a fairly dark environment with lights and uh, pointing onto their drawing boards. And it just didn't grab me. Mm. And, of course, I'm <laughs> fully aware that uh, I missed out on the sort of uh, outings where they check out locations. I had no idea about mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, aeronautical engineering, marine engineering, and so on. So I had an incredibly narrow and distorted view, but came back to my dad and said, 
mate, I don't think I can do this. I don't, I don't want to sit at a desk drawing in the dark, drinking, uh, <laughs> drinking, you know, coffee out of dirty cups. That's yeah. not for me. Yeah. Now, my dad, were, as I said, was uh, a good, good guy and straight. He said, look, Warwick, uh, I think you're smart enough to do something at uni. The family hasn't got much money, but we'll support you if you do a course that's got an end to it. And I said, oh, look, uh, said to myself, look, uh, don't think I can see myself doing accounting. It seems a little bit dry. Um, I don't think I could do law because I'm just a bit dyslexic and can't write an essay to save myself. <laughs> so, um, so you know, I thought, well, what other course has an end to it that would satisfy Dad, <laughs> Dad <laughs> Mum and Dad paying for me to go through uni? And it was medicine. So I put I put in an application. Um, didn't think that I got in, went bushwalking actually when the results were meant to come out. Uh, wandered back after my bushwalk wrecked. Uh, my mum, who's European, uh, had uh, thoughtfully opened my personal mail and greeted me with hugs and cuddles and excitement when I got home, <laughs> meaning that she'd read my acceptance letter uh, well before I had. So, um, so I got into medicine and away I went. How old were you? Uh, you start medicine at about 17, 18 years of age. Mm, but I had no idea what to expect. Isn't it incredible how we've got to make decisions in our life at, uh, at that stage, you know, when we really don't even know, our brain's not developed yet, you know, and we're, we're making these decisions uh, on what we want to become. But, you know, this one was obviously the right one for you. So, Well, it's extraordinary, Aaron, because, you know, you have no idea and you make a choice with very little information. Mm -hmm. uh, it's extraordinary, but it goes on. So if you can indulge me a bit more, the story's, <laughs> the story's not quite finished. I got through medicine, ended up going to uh, Darwin because I thought I wanted to get away from Hobart. So I went to Darwin, which had a brilliant time, decided at the end of my year in Darwin that I was gonna quit because you know, it was just bloody hard work between you and me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought I'll come back to Hobart and sell real estate. And I'd sort of had my heart set on that because I thought, oh, yeah, real estate seems like a good occupation and there's got to be a few bob in it and I'm sure I could sell uh, the occasional uh, house here and there and do okay, right? Well, it turned out that there was, a, um, there was an end-of-year get-together run by one of the surgeons, uh, one of the orthopaedic surgeons, who I'd actually worked for. And um, I went along to this uh, night and sat with this surgeon at dinner because, you know, we'd all been invited along. He said, what are you up to next year? I said, oh, yeah, I'll back off to Tassie to go and um, sell real estate. And uh, honestly, this guy spent uh, a good part of the rest of the night, um, well, saying nice things about me and uh, telling me that it would be a loss to um, medicine and it, it, medicine's a great career. And he basically, um, well, he schmoozed me into staying in. Mm, <laughs> so, so I did. Um, so on a whim, I stayed in. Um, I'd had a guy who I'd met from Adelaide who was a uh, mountaineer, rock climber, I was interested in mountaineering and rock climbing. He sort of said to me, look, if you come to Adelaide, uh, I'll help you train for this mountaineering trip you want to do in in Europe. And I said, okay, sounds great. So I'm from Darwin to Adelaide, sort of on a whim and against the flow of what I thought I would do. Unreal, unreal. Obviously, yeah, you were 
you really connected with that type of stuff, so that was attractive to you. So you went to Adelaide, and did you did you stay there long? Did you train? And did you uh, did you succeed in uh, in your dream of going to Europe and doing the uh, the expedition over there? <laughs> yes, so I actually did get to Europe. Um, I got to stand on the top of uh, the highest mountain in Europe. Your listeners would know that's Mont Blanc. If you're standing on the French side, or Monte Bianco, if you're standing on the Italian side. Um, I did get into specialist training in Adelaide and I had such a positive uh, attitude to it all. Uh, I used to say my motto used to be smart enough to get in, dumb enough to do it. <laughs> so that, that, that gives you something inside of what a miserable guy I was. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all right. Um, I have to tell you, it was, it was really, it's a very hard and challenging time in your life. You know, you get up early, you start work early, you work full tilt all day, and then you get home and you study and then get up and repeat. Mm. So it was very hard work. But the uh, I got through the exams. I um, started working different areas. And I honestly, Aaron, what I found was that although I, I never really set out to do medicine, I loved, I loved it. It, the stuff was just exciting and fascinating and dynamic. And I can remember early on, I sort of decided I probably wasn't going to do gastroenterology. That's, um, you know, swallowing and bowels and things, just because I sort of thought to myself, I don't think I could honestly ask people on a regular basis for the rest of my life how their bowels were going. Mm. I uh, decided not to do respiratory because I just couldn't cope with sputum. Mm -hmm. I ended up doing um, hematology. So hematology is blood work. For anyone listening, you might know that uh, when you do hematology, you look at blood slides under a microscope. And in more recent times, of course, we do those microscopes were projected up onto a screen so that everyone on that unit working in hematology can look at the slides at the same time and discuss them well. I was fired up about haematology, Aaron. I thought, geez, I'm going to do this. It was at a time when we were just starting to understand cell markers and the genetics of cancer and the research papers were fascinating and I thought, wow, this is for me. I love it. Mm. But as I used to sit there in the um, ward rounds, the meetings for haematology, they would discuss the characteristics of the slides we were looking at and say things like, well, you can see the brown granular de uh, brown granular changes within this particular cell or you could see the magenta stain affecting this and so forth. So they were referring to colours caused by some of the stains that we use to identify um, specific characteristics in regard to the cells. Mm. Well, I kept looking and looking and, you know, it didn't make sense to me. And I realised I'm colourblind. True. Yeah. So about 7% <laughs> of men are colourblind. Oh, so really? I would sit there looking at these slides <laughs> and I couldn't see what they were talking about. And unfortunately, that was the end of my potential haematology career. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, so that's, that, that took you into the heart from there, or what did you say? Well, uh, uh, you rotate through different areas of medicine, and soon after that I rotated through cardiology, and um, cardiology is literally in black and white. It was absolutely perfect for me. Mm. And at the time I was rotating through cardiology, 
there were these amazing advances. We just seen the development of these fantastic drugs that you could give people, which were clock busters mm. to break up blockages in arteries when people were having heart attacks. Mm. So I was there when we were first starting to give these. And so people would come in with full-blown heart attacks. They'd get these drugs in through the vein. And if all went well, an hour or two later, these people would be restored to what really looked like uh, back to normal. Mm. Well, as, as normal as you could hope, but uh, snatched from the precipice of uh, disaster, really. Incredibly exciting times. Mm. What do you was Soon that? after that... Ooh, that would have been in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. So not that long ago, yeah. Oh, early, maybe it is, early, yeah. Maybe early 90s. Maybe early 90s. Early to mid-90s. And at the same time, they were starting to develop the technology that we're familiar with broadly now, which is putting in balloons and stents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, it was a very exciting area it, to be in. Yeah. And we were really genuinely making a positive difference in people's lives. And that fired me up, Aaron, and... And I, and I stuck to it. So there you go. That's how I got to be a cardiologist. It doesn't sound that long ago, but it was 30 years, really, isn't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've amazing. been doing it for a while. <laughs> but it's been an extraordinary journey, yeah? So, so yeah, so you obviously, look, you know, I remember a, a friend of our family when, when I was a young fellow, Bob Neary was his name, and I'm sure his family will probably listen to this. But uh, Bob had a heart transplant back in the 80s, maybe, and that was cutting edge uh, in Sydney. Now, I can't remember the name of the guy that did it, but he was well-known, a guy that did transplants in Sydney, an Asian fellow, you probably know him. Uh, yeah, almost certainly Victor Chang, I reckon, right. Aaron. Yes. Victor Chang. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Bob, Bob had his heart replaced in his mid-50s, maybe. Um, and, um, you know, he lasted a while, but he ended up passing away quite young. But I think the technology now is probably much better than what it was, you know, back then. It's getting better all the time, Aaron. Every year we're seeing developments on developments on developments. And, of course, growth of knowledge like this becomes exponential, really, because it time with time we build on what we already know we don't have to start at zero and start again mm. we build on what we already know and it's it's it really is very exciting times incredible have you done heart transplants yourself i don't do heart transplants i'm not a surgeon yep. i'm what's called a physician mm -hmm. and for those listening some people get physicians and surgeons confused so if i could take a quick detour, just uh, by way of education. Sure. A lot of my patients come in and say, should I call you Mr. Bishop? Because you're a specialist. And I say, no. Mr. is a term that historically has been applied to surgeons. So when we think about people specialising, you can go down the path of cutting things out to fix someone or operating on someone to fix someone, like an orthopaedic surgeon might fix your bone, uh, like a general surgeon might cut out your appendix. But you can also get down the line of specialising in treating people with medications. So someone who has asthma, for example, might be seen by a specialist respiratory physician 
because you can only really use medication to fix someone's asthma. You can't use surgery to cut their lungs out. So we divide down uh, a physicianly path using medications versus surgical path. And the history is interesting because in the grand old days when um, surgery very first started, it was done by the local butcher or the local carpenter and the person who directed the butcher or the carpenter was the physician who stood at the end of the table looking over it all telling the uh, non-medical person what to do and because that non-medical person wasn't a doctor they were referred to as mister you serious so that historical title of the person who does the operating mister is still carried through today. So when were carpenters and and butchers opening humans up? <laughs> Probably the 1700s, 1800s. <laughs> but these days that same title is applied to the surgeons who specialise. And so if you see a, um, a doctor who goes by mister, they're almost certainly a surgeon. Mm, unreal, I never knew that. There you go. It's a bit of a uh, bit of trivia, but a lot of people ask me, "Should they call me Mister?" The answer is because I'm a physician. No. Mm, interesting. So, yes. so your life uh, as a as a physician has really uh, evolved over the last thirty years, I'd imagine, and and you're obviously still learning today. But what are some of the breakthroughs that you've seen in that time? Um, you know, within within the last thirty years, that have been really game changing for you as an individual, and also for the uh, for the knowledge and awareness uh, that we have around heart well being. So there's there are so many game changing things that have come over the last thirty years, and I'll limit myself to cardiology because that's obviously what I observe the most. But we've we've got incredible advances in our ability to treat things like cardiac failure, our ability to deal with things like transplants, for example, our ability to put in stents and keep people living longer with less symptoms with a better quality of life. Mm. For me, for me, the most significant thing has really been in the area of prevention, which is the area I've moved towards. Of course, there's a lot of adrenaline and excitement when you're dealing with the sickest people and you're trying to recover them and look after them and restore them to good health. But as I've got a little bit older, I've sort of started to ask the question, why don't we try and stop people getting sick in the first place and um, avoid these potential breakdowns, if you like, these emergencies, if we possibly can. And so for me, one of the greatest advances has been the development of cardiac CT imaging, which literally allows us to take pictures of people's coronary arteries and check and see what sort of risk they might be at of a heart attack well before they ever have a sign of any problem. Mm. Think of it as um, taking a picture of the heart, a bit like you might take a, a mammogram to look for breast cancer we can take a mammogram of the heart to check out the heart health. Mm. And that sort of technology allows us to be ahead of the game. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, mate. Um, so should it be something that people are getting checked regularly? 
So I think people, I think people need to be checked regularly, and and I think we came across each other because we saw our efforts on social media trying to advance and raise awareness and health literacy. And you'd know from the stuff that you've seen uh, on my website that I'm really very motivated to try and give people information and education so that they know what they can do to best look after themselves. Now, part of that, Aaron, is generating a mind shift. Mm. And the mind shift is this. Up until, well, currently, for a large number of people, we don't worry about our health until it goes wrong. Yes. But those very same people schedule in servicing for their car or their boat or whatever it might be on a regular basis. We don't think twice about taking our car in for a service while it's running well. Mm -hmm. And yet for our own bodies, for our hearts, the most important pump in our entire life, we don't think about it like that. Mm, that's true. It's, isn't it amazing? We have a thing on our, we have a thing on the windscreen of the vehicle that we're in that actually alerts us to when we're getting close to a service. But the vehicle that we're in is is, is our bodies. But we don't have anything that's alerting us to saying, well, it's time for a uh, for for a check up here just to see how things are going. Exactly. That's exactly right. So my. A lot of my passion is really getting people, I'm just trying to shake people between you and me, trying to shake people and make them aware that we should be looking at maintenance programs mm. for our hearts so that we go in and we get serviced and we get looked after rather than wait till we have a breakdown and need a tow truck because mm. that tow truck could end up being a hearse. Mm, that's true. Good, good, good point. It's interesting... Um I, I have a, a strong uh, pre-abilitative approach rather than rehabilitative approach. And I guess in modern society, we're very reactive. You know, uh, we're waiting till something goes wrong and then we'll do something about it. But, you know, I, I believe, Warwick, and, and you, you may or may not agree with this, but, you know, our education system really puts us into a reactive response so we can consume. Uh, once we consume, we can become attached to consuming. We find happiness in consuming, but usually something conks out uh, and that's when we sort of seek help when that happens but we're not actually educated to uh to to you know prevent things from happening and having the self-awareness around our bodies our minds and you know how to manage that well and keep that into co into coherence so we're not experiencing the problems that are you know probably seen more and more in modern society today well to a large degree Aaron, i agree with you i think education is key and I think we can improve what we're doing. And as I alluded to just then, my drive and my passion and a lot of the focus of what I've got on my uh, social media, my website and my Healthy Heart Network is about educating people so they know what's available. I just discussed with you that I believe people should be getting their hearts checked rather than waiting till something goes wrong and then getting checked. I can assure you many, many people don't even know that's a possibility. Mm. And so getting that information out there, I think, is key. So so how, what, so just give us a bit of an idea about 
some of the the things you can do with regards to you know getting check checkups and so forth because it's probably really um not not common to the average person that's listening to this to, to have you know an annual checkup with regards to your heart health well look um there's a number of things you can do but look one of maybe one of the simplest things you can do is i've sent you a link to my website drwarwickbishop.com and on that website if you open it up there's two little buttons one that says free heart check and one says uh join the membership well if you hit the free heart check button that's a great start and it'll ask you your age and sex and some other bits and pieces and give you a rough idea of where your risk might be we've also got a bit more detail around that and can even guide people through the process of considering obtaining ct scanning a scan of their heart to be more precise but all that's on the website and probably a very easy way to access it for people who are listening but equally they could go to their gp and say look i want to have some sort of heart assessment uh, or check done but part of the limitation with those sort of heart checks is that they tend to be a population based tool mm. so if I could explain what that means, it might make a bit of sense to you. Absolutely, go for if, it. If you went along and saw your GP, and let's say you're an average 55-year-old bloke, uh, your cholesterol's pretty average, your blood pressure's pretty average, uh, you're a non-smoker, um, don't have diabetes, and you go along to your GP and say, look, I just want a heart check, they would put those characteristics into a risk calculator mm. and many people listening to this will have had this procedure done so you put those details in and it spits out a number now the doctor would then turn around and say oh look it says here your risk of a heart attack in the next five years is only five percent and it gets a green flag so we don't need to worry too much about you Mm. now most people accept that because well at, at first glance it seems not much of a concern but let me put this to you aaron i believe we should present that detail or that information a little bit differently i think what we should say is look friend based on the characteristics you just gave me what this risk calculator tells me is if I take 100 men just like you and follow those 100 men for five years, the five of them will have a heart attack and we just don't know if you're one of them. Mm. Mm. Do you get the difference? I do, mate, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because, because to tell someone their event rate over the next five years is 5% is misleading. Mm, that's true. For, for the next five years, the only event rate you can have is either 0%, i.e. nothing happens to you, or 100%, something does. Mm, mm, interesting. So when, I'm, so when I'm talking with patients like that, this 55-year-old imaginary man that we've just taken, I say, look, mate, imagine we've got 19 blokes just like you. Out of, the, out of your... Um, 
you know, old school class for argument's sake. We put 19 blokes just like you in a room and we add you as well, right? And remember that the rate of event was uh, 5% over five years, which is really one in 20. So now I've got this bloke in the room with 19 other blokes the same. I can honestly say to that group, Look, guys, based on our statistics, our population-based statistics, one of you is going to have a heart attack in the next five years. Anyone want to know who it is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Get it? Yeah, I do. Yeah, absolutely. So 20 is not a lot in a room. And the way we find out is this, and this is the magical piece of technology that I think can change and save lives. So the magical way we do it is we take those 20 blokes and we put them through a scanning process where we literally look at the arteries of their heart to see are they healthy or are they unhealthy or are they somewhere in between so we can move from a population-based risk assessment tool to an individually-based assessment. Mm. Amazing. But I've got all that, all that information covered uh, on my on my website and in my Healthy Heart Network, actually. So tell me, one person in Australia has a heart attack every 10 minutes, is that right? It's about that. I think it might be 10 to 12 minutes, but it's very close to that, Aaron, yes. And how many people die every day because of a heart attack? Look, I think it's in the order of 50, something like that. It might be 60. But look, this scary number about heart attack is... Is this right? If it's one in, if it's approximately a heart attack every ten minutes, most people listening would think, "Oh, yeah, well, that's probably just old fogies falling off the perch. Who cares? Mm. You got to die from something." Mm. Well, here's the scary, the scariest statistic of this, Aaron. Twenty percent of all heart attacks occur in individuals under sixty-five years of age. Mm. There you go. Unreal. 20%. And I can tell you this, right? One in six of those will die. Mm. And I can assure you of this, those people at less than 65 years of age are not ready to die. Mm. And they've got plenty of life that they still deserve to live. So what are some of the things that are contributing to heart attacks? Well, there's all the standard traditional things that we know about. Age, as you get older, your risk gets higher. Male sex carries a greater risk. High blood pressure, smoking, diabetes, poor diet, lack of exercise. But remember, all those things are general risk factors that impact the rate of event within a population. Mm. What I'm deeply passionate about is moving from that population-based risk assessment to drilling down on individuals. And the reason why is because sometimes, and you know this and so many of your listeners will know this, people can look fit and well on the outside. They may not be particularly old. They may not smoke. They may not have much blood pressure. They may not be diabetic. They may even exercise and they drop dead. Mm, Interesting, isn't it? It's terrible. In fact, one of the things that uh, the story that kicks off in my book, Have You Planned Your Heart Attack and Know Your Real Risk of Heart Attack? 
the thing that kicks off those books is a story about a fun runner who at 53 years of age dropped dead during a fun run down here in Hobart. It happened that I was driving to work on that very, at the very same time, I saw a commotion by the side of the road. Because I'm a doctor, I thought, oh, I might stop and see if I can offer assistance. Bugger me, it was a man who'd literally had a heart attack and was being resuscitated by the roadside. He was dead. We worked on him, two ambulance officers, myself and two other medical people who were uh, participants of the fun run. We got this man's heart going again. We got him to the local hospital and he got a stent in the artery down the front of his heart. His life was saved, an absolute miracle. Mm. But here's the scary thing. I'd seen the same man 18 months earlier. I'd put him through a treadmill test, which he passed with flying colours, and I told him he was fine, only to be involved in his roadside resuscitation mm. less than two years later. Mm-hmm. So why? What, what was the cause of all this? Well, the cause is complex, and I think it's really important that we start to recognise that we don't fully understand coronary artery disease. Mm. We only understand some of the associations with it, not all of it. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I need to share something with you. Uh, Last year, I ended up at Rabina Hospital um, just yeah, purely by default, basically, yeah, how this eventuated. But uh, anyway, I was in emergency and they had me hooked up on these machines and, and they, were, they were, you know, they were worried that my heart rate was so low. But I was sitting up, I was perfectly fine, normal, and they were like so, um, so, I wouldn't say confused, but like just so um, amazed that I was like functioning so well uh, with such low heart rate, and I explained to them that I'd trained my heart to be like that. So, you know, I was a really anxious person, you know, all those sorts of things, but over the last 10 or 12 years, I've I put a lot of work into fitness, uh, but also through, uh, beyond that, a lot of work into meditation and, and yoga, and, you know, managed to get my, my nervous system, you know, settled where my heart rate has responded to that, and and they weren't going to let me go. I said, look, I'm fine. You know, I'm no worries. See you later. <laughs> and, and I was. But, but they were alarmed that, you know, I, I have such a low heart rate and, and there's other people that practice what I practice, um, you know, that, that, that say the Dalai Lama, for example, like he's got a low heart rate and other people that, that, that do um, practices that get them back to um, a sense of coherence again, then then their heart rates are quite low. And, and yeah, I, I, I think the, the doctors expected my heart rate to be higher, but I was still functioning quite well. What would your, your view be on that? I think if you feel fine, I wouldn't worry about you. But what you do is raise a fantastic uh, segue into what I think is an incredibly important conversation around trying to give people the best health journey possible mm. and... What I like to do, Aaron, is use a car analogy. I think car analogies work really well because most of us are familiar with them. Mm. And often when I see patients, they want to do things to look after their their health to get the best uh, health journey. So let's imagine a health journey like a uh, you're going to take a, 
a long journey in your car. And these patients will say to me, look, doc, I'll, um, I'll eat healthy, I'll exercise a lot, I'll, I'll meditate for, one, um, for, for blood pressure control, um, I'll do all this stuff to make sure that I have the best or the safest journey. And I say, look, that's absolutely fantastic. And what that represents is, in the car analogy, you being a really sensible driver, mm. driving to the conditions, making sure you um, are aware of your speed limits, making sure you're aware of other traffic, that you're driving the vehicle as safely as possible. All that lifestyle intervention is you being a great driver. And then what I say to them is my responsibility is as your mechanic. Mm. I need to make sure that what is under the bonnet is safe and reliable because if we don't get those two components together, the, the machinery right and the driver right, then we can't maximise the likelihood of a safe journey. Mm. Mm. Well said. Absolutely. Exactly right, isn't it? You know, like, geez, where. Before we, 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 we cross the nullable, we make sure our, um, our cars are in good nick. Uh, we're going somewhere, you know, we've got, a, we've got a sticker on our windscreen, as I said, about uh, giving, giving us an alert on when, uh, when our, our car needs servicing, but just to keep that in optimum condition. But we're not really aware or in tune enough to actually know when our, um, when our bodies are a little bit out of whack to be able to get that back into balance again? Well, look, we do have some strategies in place, Aaron, and um, any of us who have hit 50 years of age and beyond will have got a, a package from the um, government encouraging us to collect uh, a stool sample and send it off to check for colon cancer. Right, okay. And uh, many of us will have gone to GPs and had uh, skin checks for skin cancer. And many women, when they hit, I think it's mid-40s, but don't quote me on that because it's not my area of expertise, but many women at a certain age will be invited to partake in a mammography screening program. What we don't do for the single biggest killer in Australia is put in place a maintenance and prevention program. And if I had my way, that sticker on uh, the car would be marked at 50 years of age for the average bloke, go and get your heart checked, mm. and for 60 years of age for the average woman, go and get your heart checked, unless there were some other significant risk factors that those individuals might have, like a really bad family history or really high cholesterol or really overweight or, or something that could be a real concern over and above just the age, in which case... I would be wanting to see those people earlier and making sure that we're checking out their heart, checking out their engine, making sure everything's working well and they're not at risk of a, a heart attack out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, mate, yeah, it makes, makes so much sense, doesn't it? Um, the heart is, is, the, is the governor of our whole existence, isn't it? You know, our brains are servant to the heart. Everything else in the body is is is, is functioning because of the, of the heart, um, you know, giving its life force. Uh, at the end of the day, so to be able to do things which, which are kind to that through the diet, through our lifestyles, I think is so important. No question, you don't go very far without your heart working well. 
Mm, that's a good one, isn't it? So, so do you think fitness plays a big part to be able to get our heart rate up regularly to make sure that the, the blood's pumping freely and, uh, and also, you know, our breath's in a nice rhythm and a nice flow? Do you think that's a, a strategy to be able to help our well-being as, as one part of it? And obviously, we'll explore the other parts um, after this one. So I still, uh, I still come back to the car analogy. I love it because it's really simple and it often ties in with uh, what, um, what people can relate to and what we see uh, from a cardiovascular perspective. So if you've got a diesel vehicle like I do, I've got an old 1998 Land Rover 110 Defender. Um, that diesel vehicle loves it if I drive it for five or six hours straight doesn't like it if I do five or six hours around a city block stopping and starting and stopping and starting I just burn a lot of oil mm. and so for your car a long drive stretching your car's legs is always good for the engine and your body's a bit the same your heart and all your metabolic processes benefit from you exercising regularly mm. there's no question about that mm. Mm. my real focus and real passion though Aaron, is about that extra bit of information that allows people to be more precise about their own health. And I'm talking about looking at the coronary arteries or talking about looking at the fuel lines in my car mm. with more accuracy. Because even if you drive a long way, if there's rust in the pipes, you might run into strife. Mm. And I believe being forewarned is being forprepared. Mm. Well said. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Well, I suppose there's these little signs that we're not we're not familiar with that um, that might uh, might might uh, trigger us to uh, to maybe seek some advice. But usually, like we're looking for something if we're feeling a bit out of balance, like a a quick fix, whether that be a beer or a tablet or something to give us um, some 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 release or, or or ease. But I guess people, you know, experiencing heartburn, all these sorts of things consistently, there might be so much more behind that. So I'm going to come back to the fun runner story that I told you. Yeah. Oh, this man put on his sand shoes that morning, ready to run a 10-kilometre run. He felt fit and well. Mm. He didn't put on his sand shoes expecting to die that day. Mm. I think I know the he felt, yeah. <laughs> he, he felt perfectly well. Now, here's the bit I want people to understand. If 18 months earlier, instead of putting him through a treadmill test, to see how fit he was, if instead I'd scanned his arteries to see the health of his arteries, which is a different thing, I would have seen there was lots of plaque in his arteries and I would have been alerted to the high risk he was at that no one was aware of because he had no symptoms whatsoever until that fatal moment he had his heart attack. Interesting. So what can you do to, to scan arteries? Or what sort of technology is available for that? It's CT scanning, Aaron. That's exactly what my book is about. That's exactly what the Healthy Heart Network is about. And the links that you'll provide to this uh, podcast include a link to a free heart check, which if people uh, fall in the right category, will lead them straight through to an explanation and even accessing a request for that sort of scanning if it's appropriate mm, okay so 
So with regards to, um, I suppose, you know, accessing that, is that something that's easily done? Follow the link. Yeah. It's pretty easy. That. Uh, we've put together, we've put together um, a free heart check so people can check that. And if they fall into a certain category, they may well find that getting uh, imaging done on their heart, a scan, a scan of their heart is the right thing for them. And if they do, we've put together uh, what we call and what we believe is the world first. It's a world first, I might add, Aaron, um, a virtual heart scan consultation. So people will go through that. It'll cost them under 100 bucks. Uh, we'll mail them out a book. We'll mail them out some preparatory tablets for the scan and we'll get a scan organised for them uh, at their local or nearest provider. That, that sounds like a pretty good investment, but just quickly, um, just uh, something I was going to ask, like with regards to diet, obviously that has a lot to do with it too. So what are, what are some of the main things to avoid to, to keep your heart healthy? So I think that uh, keeping your heart healthy is served by also keeping your weight down, not eating too much. In general terms, my recommendations are to look toward a Mediterranean diet. That's where all the research sits. I often say to people if their weight is a little bit high to cut their carbohydrates. And carbohydrates, for those who are listening and not quite sure, carbohydrates are... Uh, compounds that when the body digests them, they break down into sugar. And the main things that we think about are bread, pasta, rice, potatoes, cereal, fruit, and beer. Mm. So the big seven, the seven deadly carbs, they are all full of sugar. So if you're wanting to drop your weight a little bit, you you can't be eating potatoes or porridge or <laughs> or chips or... Uh, rice and wondering why you're not dropping the weight. So bread, pasta, rice, potatoes, cereal, fruit and beer. I've actually got uh, some carbohydrate counters and resources on my website. It's a couple of dollars to join my website, about five bucks for lifetime membership. But we've got resources there on dietary information uh, as well, T together with um, access to podcast blogs and other uh, bits and pieces, including a uh, low sugar starter kit for people so heaps of stuff to look at but that they're the basics i think mediterranean diet keep your carbohydrates down and exercise is great but you know and this is a space that you know all about aaron all that's good but you've got to keep your mental health straight as well and um for those listening uh who've thought that maybe meditations for um people who wear Birkenstocks and um, live in Byron Bay, I can tell you that uh, in the last uh, six months or so, I've, I've taken up meditation. And honestly, uh, if you were to classify me as a dog, I'd be a Jack Russell. Uh, never sit still on the seat, always looking around yapping and um, never thought I could meditate. But honestly, Aaron, uh, and for those listening, I've, I've picked up some meditation and um, it's done me a power of good. So this whole concept of getting everything right for your journey is so important. You've got to look under the bonnet. You've got to look after the driver. You've got to put the right fuel in. You've got to, you've got to be aware of all the bits to look after to give yourself the best health journey. Mm. 
that's a, that's a good term and yeah obviously these are things that you have in your toolkit and um uh yeah you're right Warwick like like you know this is this was a game changer for me like all the yang like the fitness and all that but being able to slow down is is so important you know and be able to do that right so slowing the the the, the breath and settling the mind and giving the mind a rest is 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 really really important for for us you know we we don't acknowledge it because we're just on the go all the time and we're thinking when we go to bed we're thinking as soon as we get up but you know we're not actually giving our minds a break so it's really good to hear that you've done that how old are you now i'm 56 turning 57 later in the year yep the um meditation was given to me by a uh, fantastic guy i met recently a an incredibly uh, powerful individual who just radiated positive energy, um, pro- pro- probably like yourself, actually, Aaron. Uh, he meditates regularly and and is able and really presents that aura. And uh, he's given me a twenty-minute meditation, mm-hmm. which I do with my uh, my other half. We wake up half an hour early. We put in our earbuds, uh, put a little mask over our eyes, and we do our twenty minutes of meditation, holding hands. Mm. and uh, it's the bee's knees. I, I would never have thought I'd say that, but it's the bee's knees. <laughs> Interesting. I've never heard of a couple's meditation like that before, mate, so that's, that's awesome that you can do it with your partner. So, uh, oh, we just we hold that. hands, do this deep breathing meditation for 20 minutes up and into the day, and um, look, it's, it's, it's been a really powerful thing, and anyone who's thinking about meditation as it's a bit weird or, you know, mm. I, I'm with you, <laughs> but yeah. I've, I've had a crack and I love it. I think it's a really good yeah. thing to do. Awesome, mate. Imagine if uh, you had been taught that when you were 16, you know. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I'm uh, my kids are now um, have been exposed to it and encouraged as well. So, And they're, they're teenagers, so mm. I'm getting them into it. Unbelievable. It's, it's been... Uh, an amazing chat, Warwick. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have plenty more in the future um, with regards to this because it's so important. Now, how can people get hold of you again? Look, Aaron, I would love to reach out and raise people's health literacy. I really, really want people to know that we should be able to avoid people dying from heart attacks unexpectedly in 2021. The best thing they could do is go and check out my website, uh, drwarwickbishop.com you'll have the link below I will um, if they want to get a heart check there's a free heart check there if they want to if they're the sort of person who qualifies or seems it seems appropriate to get a heart scan then we've got we can cater for that we can do the world's first virtual heart scan consultation all those links are straightforward and it'll get you to a point where you're given a referral to a heart scan I've got books on the subject, Know Your Real Risk of Heart Attack, and I've got another book, Have Have You Planned Your Heart Attack? And these are just information to get people aware of how we can save lives. Mm. Um, I'd love people to listen to my podcast. I've got nearly 200, Mm. and I get very good feedback on those. They run for about 10 to 15 minutes and cover lots of different health topics, and uh, I find people more engaged in their health, do better in terms of their outcomes. Best educated patients get the best healthcare without question. So um, if your listeners would like to be in touch through my website, 
fantastic. Otherwise, I'm going to wish them the very best, and I really thank you for the opportunity to chat today. Oh, look, it's been been uh, awesome to, to speak with you, and uh, it's given me insight into uh, into plenty, and also um, you know other uh, other people that can come onto this to talk about particular. Uh, topics, you know, with regards to, to, to physical health. And, um, yeah, I'll certainly uh, maybe talk to you about some others that might be good to come on and be good to hear uh, from the listeners uh, who they might like to um, uh, to hear from, you know, with regards to a particular matter. So there's, there's all these specialists that look after various parts of our bodies and, um, you know, just to be able to hone in on that a little bit more will only... Uh, help our self-awareness at the end of the day, Warwick. So I really, really appreciate your time and um, stay warm down there. (laughs) I'll I'll do my very best, thanks, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, hope that's helpful. Uh, Lots of information there uh, from Warwick and I really encourage you to check out his website, get some information, be courageous enough to get the checks uh, that he's offering up and, um, yeah, who knows, uh, you may have a problem, but you know, hopefully you don't. And uh, at least by by finding out, um, you know, at least it might prevent something that, uh, that that could occur in the future. So, yeah, please, uh, please touch base with him if you'd like to reach out to me. Uh, support.outbackmind.com.au, the website outbackmind.com.au. Please share the podcast with others. Uh, this particular one, uh, obviously, it's about physical health and. Um, you know, uh, if there's someone that you're concerned about, uh, you know, just, just say, hey, mate, or hey, uh, you know, I'd like you to have a listen to this and, um, you know, that might uh, might really help uh, them turn the corner. So appreciate you, you listening in. Some awesome podcasts coming up. Stay tuned. Share it out with others too. Thank you. Cheers.